You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by U.S. Rider. If you have any questions about equine insurance, then you definitely want to listen to today's interview with Heidi Wardle and Samantha Silver, because they will answer all the questions that you have. And even questions you don't have. Exactly. Yes, that's very true. Um, but before we get to that, we wanted to share some of the great things that Aviva is doing Woof. for Dressage Today On Demand. Not only is she the co-host of this podcast, um, recently we recorded audio of Aviva reading the movements and directives of all of the intro through fourth level tests. And how easy was that, Aviva? Um, fortunately, I drank a lot of coffee before we did it, but it was still a little bit tongue-tying. <laughs> I, I think we did well, though. I think we only had to re-record one. I, I think that you a, did great. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully um, the timing is good for people. Um, right. I know back in the day there was a... Um, they, we didn't have apps back then, but you could buy a recording of somebody reading the test, which was really helpful when you were practicing and were starting to learn your tests. And hopefully this timing is pretty good for people as well. We based it on the um, on the levels videos. So they're right. all in the big ring. Um, but it's a really cool way of remembering what's important for each movement, not just, you know, riding from movement to movement, but remembering what is important about the movements and also remembering where the scores go. Because yeah. I think a lot of people learn patterns and the patterns are important, but where the scores go can change your strategy in the ring. You know, if you don't have a great lengthening, but you have a lengthening score and a transition score, then sometimes that transition score can be higher than the lengthening score if you show something a little bit more dramatic. So um, hopefully people will benefit from it. Yeah, definitely. And you've made a really good point that these are all in the big ring, including the intro tests. So yeah. if you're riding an intro test in a 20 by 40 meter or arena, this is, you're going to get off um, yeah. <laughs> because these yes. were all done in the 20 by 60. So that was, that is actually a really good point. I'm glad you said that. Mm -hmm. uh, but members, if you're a member of Dressage Today On Demand, you can go to the 2023 on the level tests and pick your, pick the video of the test that you're riding or you're practicing. And then if you scroll all the way down, you'll see an, a wave file that's an audio file that you can download and you can listen to it anytime. If you're listening to it while you're riding, please be aware of your surroundings. Don't like turn the volume all the way up so that you are completely <laughs> clueless to what else is going on around you. Good point. Yes. <laughs> yep. That's kind of common sense, but you know. <laughs> well, 
Yep, I get it. Yep. Maybe only put one earbud in. <laughs> Maybe only put one earbud in. That is correct. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully they are helpful. And, um, you know, and so you did that for us. And you are also going to be doing something else for Dressage Today On Demand. Yep. Uh, most just within the last couple of weeks, we have started a private Facebook group that is available only to subscribers. And why don't you tell us what is going to be coming that you're going to be doing? <laughs> well, I'm pretty exciting. I mean, I'm pretty excited. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you're exciting, I, too. I am, I am exciting, too. Yeah. Okay. I'm drinking more coffee. Okay. Um, to, to our subscribers, we are going to be offering a neat service where they can send um, a video of them riding a test, mm -hmm. and I'm going to judge it. Right. Um, so you get the opportunity of doing some virtual test riding and getting some, um, you know, comments back from an L grad to just help you before you go into the ring for a real show, either a schooling show or a licensed competition. Um, and it's a really, it's a really neat idea. And yeah. I mean, most of you guys know me at this point, you've been <laughs> listening to me for a couple of years now. Um, <laughs> And so it'll be a fun way of my getting to connect with some of our listeners in ways that I never have. Um, and I think it's a nice benefit for people just to get an extra little, you know, two cents of an L grad's opinion of what you're doing in the ring. Right. So yeah. So excited to get started on that. Yeah. And we are kind of working out the logistical details right now. But um, once we get that all figured out and squared away, we will be uh, making that available again in the private face group book. So if you're not a member of Dressage Today on Demand, where you can also watch, you know, thousands of videos, you, you've got that too. Um, you need to go to ondemand.dressagetoday.com and sign up is what you need to do. Yep. <laughs> so many fabulous videos. <laughs> I mean, you know, for those of you who are not already um, members, all of the people pretty much that we have talked to um, over the years in the podcasts, um, their videos are there. Yeah. So Helen Fletcher yeah. and Pilates are there and Michelle Wellman and Cavaletti are there and, you know, just some really, really fun stuff, not to mention, you know, Stephen Peters uh, and, and, you know, yeah. Anna Buffini. So some really great stuff to, to watch and very inexpensive overall for a monthly. So everybody yeah. join. Yeah. So everybody go check it out and then you can, you know, they, then you can interact even more with us. Yes. <laughs> this is what you. everybody wants to do, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. right. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, Today's yes. Ask the L question comes from Sally, and she would like you to please explain the difference between cadence and rhythm and tempo. Absolutely. Um, so I remember many years ago, a friend of mine had a lesson with Jane Savoy, and Jane Savoy said to her, do you know what the difference is between tempo and rhythm? And she just, you know, boom, without even thinking, gave an answer. And I thought, wow, I, I, I didn't know that. That was pretty impressive. Um, so now I do know the difference between rhythm and tempo. So for you guys, um, tempo is the rate of speed. So you may get a comment on your test that says, um, 
quick or rushing or fast or slow. Um, and those are all about the tempo, um, the beats per minute. So if you've ever done a freestyle, you know that you check the beats per minute of your beats per minute, boy, that's hard to say, um, of your walk, trot, and canter so that you can find music that suits it. Rhythm, on the other hand, is the sequence of footfalls. So a walk is a four-beat gait, not a one, two, three, four, and not a one, two, three, four, but one, (laughs) two, three, four. So that's rhythm. So sometimes you hear things like um, lateral walk, which means that the rhythm is not clear, or you hear four-beat canter. Um, Again, that's the sequence of footfalls or lateral canter. So rhythm is the correct sequence of footfalls for the particular gait. And that is extremely important because that also defines the gait score in your test. Um, So if you have a bad walk and a great trot and a great canter, you're probably not going to get an eight on gaits. You may only get a five on gaits because that walk is not correct. And that's important. That gait score is also going to impact every single movement in your test. So if you are doing a free walk and you do a beautiful, lovely stretch and you've got overtrack and your horse is swinging and you have irregular footfalls, that's not going to be a seven or an eight. So that's tempo. That's rhythm. Cadence is something completely different. Cadence (laughs) is something that we don't talk about until second level. Um, I pulled it up just because I wanted to see how USDF defined it. Um, And I want to read the definition. It's the marked accentuation of the rhythm and beat that is a result of a steady and suitable tempo harmonizing with a springy impulsion. So if you take that apart piece by piece, um, it makes sense. But if you just sort of listen to it, it's really hard to understand. Yeah. The way that I look at cadence is I think about suspension. I think about float. I think about that wow factor. You know, when you see a horse in the ring and they go to do their medium or their extended trot, And they seem to float across the ground and it never even occurs to you to think about whether or not they're over tracking Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's just so much expression that's cadence. So cadence comes from collection. Cadence comes from power and cadence really isn't something that we talk about until second level because that's when we start collection. Um, There are exceptional horses that we see beautiful cadenced work at intro or training or first level, but we don't really expect to see it until the beginnings of second level. So hopefully that was clearer than mud um, (laughs) and explains the difference. Um, You know, again, if you look at the test and you look at the gates score, at the end where the collectives are, you will see that the gait is defined by um, rhythm and relaxation. So rhythm, again, is the correct sequence of footfalls. Relaxation in some ways 
is the tempo. You know, if you're rushing, you're not relaxed. If you're sluggish, you're too relaxed. So if you think about those two things in conjunction and then put them into your gait score, I think it answers the questions for you. So hopefully, Sally, that was a good answer um, and makes sense to everybody out there. And if it doesn't, please feel free <laughs> to, to let us know and I will try to make it make even more sense for you. <laughs> no, I think I think you did a good job there. I think that explains it. Cadence is the one that's a little more, I guess, nebulous. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a little more, it, it's not as, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a little more out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and as but, I said, I no. mean, I, if you really, if you go to USDF and you, you ask for the definition and you pull it up and you sit there and you really read it, you know, again and again and again, it does start to make sense. It, right. But just hearing me say it, I don't think it's going to make a lot of sense. So if you just think of it to me, I think of it sort of as the wow factor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know it when you see it. <laughs> you do. It's yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, very good. Thank you for that answer. And sure. uh, if anybody else has any questions about showing or judging, please reach out to us on social media. And when we return, we will have our conversation with Heidi Wardle and Samantha Silver. Whether you're headed across the country or just down the road, you could be traveling with the peace of mind knowing that you and your horse are protected by U.S. Riders 24-7 roadside assistance coverage. From lockouts and jump starts to towing and stabling veterinarian and farrier referrals, U.S. Rider ensures a breakdown won't leave you stranded. Join today and save 15% with the code USRDT at usrider.org. Heidi Wardle grew up in Castle Rock, Colorado, and relocated to Northern Virginia after school to become a working student for Olympic eventing rider Phyllis Dawson. After spending the first part of her adult life riding and training horses professionally, Heidi turned to the normalcy of a job behind a desk, but never wanted to give up that daily passion of working with horses. In 2017, she stumbled into a career in equine insurance and finds it just as rewarding as trotting down the center line or jumping across country fence. When not busy explaining the ins and outs of major medical coverage, Heidi is training and competing her off-track thoroughbreds Cold Spice and Generalist in the sport of three-day eventing. Samantha Silver has called Richmond, Virginia home her entire life. She is a lifelong horsewoman who has been doing equine insurance claims for over 15 years. She tried her hand at eventing before settling into dressage and earning her USDF bronze medal on an off-track thoroughbred that she trained herself. Samantha feels that her varied personal experiences with horse injuries and death makes her a better, more empathetic claims handler. So I am so happy today to welcome two ladies to the podcast. Today we have Samantha Silver and Heidi Wardle. And welcome, ladies, to the Dressage Today podcast. 
Thank you. And I want to start with just having you each explain a little bit about what you do in the insurance industry. Um, Heidi, let's start with you. You are in underwriting, correct? Yeah, I actually work for an agency and I'm a broker. So okay. basically responsible for kind of being the, you know, intermediate person between you and the person, the underwriter that actually writes the policy. So I, I help the help you find the right policy for your needs and kind of get that, um, you know, written and signed up through the insurance company's underwriter. Gotcha. And Samantha, you work in claims, correct? Yes. Um, I'm the person that you will talk to if your horse is injured or sick. <laughs> and that must be that must be a tough a tough side to be on at times. It definitely can be. Um, I've been doing it for a long time now, and I have a lot of um, firsthand experience with horse injuries and illnesses and stuff. Yeah. So I think that definitely helps. Um, I've literally been in a lot of these positions. Right. Now, I'm sure that does make a difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Heidi, we will we'll start with you. Why should someone insure their horse? Well, when I talk to people, I think we all know that horses are not cheap. Um, <laughs> and uh, inevitably, they do have something wrong with them every once in a while. And especially right now, you know, with inflation and the cost of everything, um, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a little bit of what I call financial aid um, as far as insurance for your horse. Um, you know, you just there's things that happen unexpectedly that you can't necessarily budget for if your horse has a serious injury. And, you know, if you have that your horse insured, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions on whether you can treat your horse or not, um, you know, based on what you might be able to afford. So I think that's just huge peace of mind in anyone that owns a horse. And could you explain the different types of insurances there are when it comes to insuring a horse? I mean, there I know there's kind of a bit of a list and there are differences such as major medical and surgical and mortality and Yeah, on everyone kind of has a different reason for, you know, what they would want the coverage for. Basically, it starts with your mortality coverage. And that is the base of the policy and is required to get any of the other coverages. And the mortality is the life insurance. So, you know, that value that you would be reimbursed if the horse had to be euthanized or was stolen and not recovered. Once you have that policy, you can add on the other options the biggest one being major medical, which obviously is going to be the coverage that reimburses you for covered expenses related to accidents, illness, injury, disease, lameness, you know, those veterinary costs that nobody likes to have, but they do happen. Right. Uh, they don't cover any of your routine costs. It's not, you know, like a, a maintenance plan. So it's not going to cover your vaccines or your teeth floats, the farm calls, you know, just things that are just kind of regular expected costs of horse ownership. So that's not covered in the major medical. But diagnostics um, are, right? Yes. I mean, depending on your policy and that's, you know, you want to make sure that you understand the coverage because every 
everybody has a little bit of different um, reimbursement options in their programs. But yes, diagnostics would be under those that major medical endorsement. Some companies do offer more limited coverages, like for just specifically for colic or specifically for surgery. And then depending on your, your horse's value and the use, sometimes the loss of use coverage is available. We don't sell as much of that as we used to. As you can imagine, the, the idea behind loss of use is that you will get reimbursed if your horse is no longer able to perform, you know, the use that you purchased it for. So, you know, perhaps your dressage horse is severely injured and can no longer, you know, do dressage, you know, you might try and have a loss of use claim. But unfortunately, now we have so many treatment options. It's actually kind of rare to, you know, actually prove that the horse has a complete loss of use. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a coverage that used to be quite popular, not so much these days, but it is still out there. Is it true, Heidi, that with loss of use, you are required to euthanize the horse? Uh, no, loss of use is, you know, more for situations where the horse doesn't meet criteria for euthanasia, but obviously, you know, maybe can no longer be ridden or useful. One thing that a lot of people don't realize about that coverage, though, is if you do get a reimbursement on that claim, you actually don't get to keep the horse. Usually mm-hmm. the company does take possession of the horse if they've paid the claim and they don't pay on the full value. So, you know, a lot of people think, you know, if you get the coverage, you know, and your horse ends up being a pasture pet, you get paid and you can keep him out in your field. It's not actually how it kind of turns out in the end. So if it's a coverage you do look into, certainly check the policy wording and make sure you understand the process of it. And we don't always, as a claims person, we don't always take the horse. In the two companies I've worked for over 15 years, we both companies chose not to ever take the horse because it was just being it would just be an additional expense for the company. Yeah. And like Heidi said, like you're paid a percentage of the mortality value. So you would get paid and then you would submit the horse's registration papers like USEF or USDF papers to the company at the bare minimum to basically show that you can't show the horse anymore. Okay. What would an insurance company do with the horse? That that's where I I don't I, I've I've been doing it for 15 years and, I, and it's a question I get a lot when 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 people have loss of use claims I don't know what they would do I've the the two companies I've worked for have not taken the horses because again it's just it's just another expense on the company so most of the time I think the horse does stay with the owner but like Heidi said these policies you have to check the wording because some of them you they can take the horse you know talking about things like mortality and loss of use. How do you determine a horse's value? Is it the purchase price? If you've had the horse for a while and decide that you want to insure it later, do you add a show record? If you don't have a show record, do you have, you know, how do you, how do you prove value? Yeah, most of the time we're going to start with your purchase price. Certainly if it's a brand new purchase, you're setting that market value by what you just paid for the horse. Mm -hmm. So that's generally where we start. Obviously, if you've had the horse a length of time and have invested, you know, lessons, training, shows, whatnot, that certainly shows that there is an increased value to you, not necessarily market value, although they do consider, you know, like a if you were to sell the horse, what it would be worth. But they really want to see the amount you have invested 
as far as training and, and shows because, you know, they're, they're looking to reimburse you for your lost, you mm-hmm. know, value necessarily the loss you might get if you sold the horse it's kind of you know that's a different perspective sometimes so when you're deciding the mortality some people don't necessarily choose to insure the horse to a full value that it might be worth they're maybe going to insure it for the amount that they would feel comfortable with getting reimbursed if the horse were to die Mm -hmm. whether that's a replacement cost for them or you know, just their initial purchase price. It just, you know, that value is a little bit different for everybody. And when you go to get insurance on a horse, does it typically require a veterinary exam? It depends on a lot of things. Different companies have different requirements. Certainly, if you have a higher valued horse, you know, over 50,000 or over 100,000, you're probably going to be asked for a veterinary exam or a copy of a recent pre-purchase. If you have a horse that you've owned a while and hasn't been insured and maybe has some health history, they might request a veterinary exam be done so that they can just see that the horse is currently sound and healthy. But there's also a lot of instances where if you've got, you know, a horse that's sound and healthy and it's, you know, under $50,000, a lot of times you can get it, get the coverage without needing your vet's involvement. Mm-hmm. How about pre-existing conditions? How are how are those handled? And if you have one, is it something that can be removed in time? I think that goes to Sam. So ge- yeah, I'll take this one. Generally speaking, pre-existing conditions are not covered. A lot of the policies out there have the wording in their pre-existing wording exclusion that says if it's non-disclosed and pre-existing, meaning if you report it and the underwriter does not exclude it, then there is still coverage. All of the policies that you will get today require basically immediate reporting of any abnormal condition or as soon as possible. We always strongly encourage the clients to call the vet and then call us afterwards. You know, get, get the vet out there first and then give us a call as soon as you can. But as far as pre-existing conditions and coverage, you would have to have reported it to the company in order for there to be coverage. That kind of gets us into what what the company could do if they don't want to cover it, which would be place an exclusion. And exclusions are typically placed for conditions that have a high likelihood of recurring or conditions that are ongoing at your renewal or at the inception of your policy. So I tell my clients that if they get an exclusion on their policy to ask their agent or their underwriter to ask, to find out when they will review the exclusion for removal, because they they can always review it for removal and whether or not they actually remove it is a different story, but you can always ask them to take a look at it. I always tell people it's always worth having a conversation, but you can, a lot of times they'll look at it six months after the horse is back in full work or at the next renewal. It it really depends on what the problem is. It's all very specific as to what the problem is. Okay. I'm thinking in terms of like pre-existing conditions, some some pre-existing conditions we don't know, like kissing spine. You you buy a horse and it's five and everything looks great on the pre-purchase. And a year later, it's having issues and you go do all the diagnostics and it's kissing spine. Is that considered a pre-existing condition or is that no, new? No, not unless you knew. Okay. 
no, it's I'm sorry, Aviva. It's it's only considered pre-existing if you um, are aware of it or if it was you know shown found on a pre-purchase or treated um, treated in the past, something like that. If you've been injecting the horse's back for a year and a half and then decide to do X-rays and find that it's kissing spine, that that fact that you injected the horse's back could potentially affect coverage mm-hmm. because you theoretically knew there was something going on. You just didn't know what it was. So that's where it kind of gets tricky. Okay. And a lot of times we rely on the veterinarians for what, when they consider the onset of a condition, because they're the ones that are there in person looking at the horse. That kind of ties into my next question, which is, you know, if you do have insurance and you're working with a vet, you know, I've, I've had insurance for a very long time and I've had a lot of different policies and you know in some cases the insurance company has dictated to me what they want my vet to do in other cases my vet has you know run the show how does that how does that work if you're working on a claim would an it would a would a claims would you Sam for instance if I if I submit a claim for injections in a back would you then turn around and say we think that you need to do x-rays So that's a great question. Generally speaking, we, again, rely on what the vet recommends. I'm not a vet. And so I, you know, if the vet says we recommend this, this and this, the best thing I can do is advise you of the coverage that you have and you can make an educated decision on how you want to treat based on that. In terms of life threatening conditions, the policies do typically have a clause in there that the insurance company can take control of the situation and get your horse treated if you're unwilling to do so. That is in the event that the horse maybe needs a surgery that's not considered heroic, but it would be life-saving. And, you know, you maybe don't want to do it because of finances or whatever, whatever the reason may be, the insurance company has the right to get your horse treated on your, basically on your behalf. How quickly do we need to notify you about something that's going on? So most of the policies have a time limit in there Mm -hmm. as far as when you need to notify. The policies that I've worked with and seen, generally speaking, have a limitation on hospitalization charges if the company has not been notified. So if the horse is going to be hospitalized, I would highly recommend that you call your insurance company immediately. Any hospitalization, surgery you know, mortality issue, you would want to call the company immediately. Mm -hmm. If it's something that is been kind of going on, maybe like a lameness that you're not really sure what's happening and you've, you know, it's been going on for a week or two and you've, you're going to have the vet out, just give us a call, you know, during business hours at your convenience. It's the sooner you call, the more coverage you are likely to have. If you, if you delay and you have a lot of vet expenses and you delay too long, you might not get all of those reimbursed due to time limits on the policy. Okay. Is there a maximum age, Heidi, for how, how old a horse can be and still be insured? There is. Years and years ago, it used to be much lower, but... I remember back in the day when it was like 13. (laughs) The insurance companies have realized that horses are going, you know, strong a lot longer these days. So right now, typically you can find coverage depending on the company. Uh, I don't have any companies that will insure past 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some companies will stop offering major medical somewhere around 16 or 18. Um, There are a couple that continue offering the major medical through age 20. As they get older, the rate does get higher. It gets a little bit more expensive. So a lot of people find as the horse gets older, they actually just don't continue the coverage anyway. 
but it certainly is an option. After age 21, they don't offer a full policy, but we do offer a named perils policy really for horses of any age. It's an inexpensive policy, but it basically covers if your horse were to die from specific things such as, you know, like a strike by lightning, attack by wild dogs. (laughs) Or if it was killed in like a trailering accident, which is something some people, you know, have a concern for. And so that a lot of people don't realize that that policy is an option for some of the older horses. We don't sell a lot of it, but, you know, some people do like that, that ongoing coverage there for just specific random things that could happen. Uh, I tell you, living in, go ahead, living in Florida, I was going to say living in Florida, the strike by lightning is not an uncommon occurrence. Unfortunately, (laughs) it happens. We, you know, it happens more often than we would like to think about really. That's scary. (laughs) It is. (laughs) And the, the trailering one is, well, is yeah. the trailering aspect of that. You know, a lot of people have 18 to 20 year olds that are still trailering and showing. Sure. And if your horse gets in a trailer accident, which happens, yeah. you know, we've all seen those horror stories, you know, you would have coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, working in insurance is just so scary because you hear all of the, the, the stuff that can happen and horses just do stuff, don't they? Oh my gosh, you have no idea. The stories I could tell you, I could go on for days. I bet. I bet. But Heidi, could you talk, you, you mentioned that the age differences, but could you talk about, are there different rates for different breeds? Or I know there are different rates for different disciplines. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, every person's policy is kind of written for their specific horse. So, you know, I see a lot of people that will ask their friends and be like, oh, you know, how much do you pay for your insurance? Like, you know, surely I can get the same thing. And uh, that's not necessarily the case because you're going to have a different horse with a different breed doing a different job. Yeah. Uh, at a different age. So yes, the the premium is going to be all over the place depending on your coverage. A pleasure horse is not going to cost as much to insure as an eventing horse. You know, a dressage horse is usually a little less than a show jumping horse. You know, as you can imagine, it's just kind of based a little bit on the amount of risk you can expect for mm-hmm. for the different disciplines. As the horse gets older, uh, you know, you do start to expect that the older horses are a little bit more at risk for illness and disease. So generally around age 15, you start to see the rate creep up a little bit every year, just entirely based on the horse's age. And the closer you get to that maximum 20 year old, kind of the more extreme of an increase you get. So yes, it's de- and also I will say that the younger horses, the babies, the foals under two years old are also going to be more expensive to insure than, you know, your eight, 10 year old mature horse. <laughs> as was, you can imagine, the babies tend to get into a little bit. Of yeah, I was, going to, I, I was going to ask, you know, we were talking about maximum age, but is there a minimum age? Because yes, babies do get into lots of trouble. Yeah, we can typically offer uh, mortality coverage at 24 hours old wow. uh, through 30 days. And different companies have different ages as far as when they would start offering major medical. Some will offer the major medical at 31 days. Others mm-hmm. will want you to wait till 60 or 90. Just, you know, again, if, if you're in that situation, shop around right. and, you know, find a policy 
um, that might get you the coverage you need because there are different ones out there. So, but 24 hours old, usually you've got the vet out to check the baby. So, you know, you're getting a vet exam that is required usually for foals and uh, you can usually get that coverage started. Cool. They actually offer prospective foal insurance. So if you have, if you're breeding and you have a valuable embryo, you can insure that. And if it, if the mare slips the foal or if it's aborted, then you could get paid for your, your breeding efforts. Oh, wow. I'm seeing that a lot more now that a lot of people are using recent mares. Sure. Yes. Cause yeah. a lot of the recent mares, they'll require an insurance policy. Yeah. And right. they're investing. A quite a bit more in their breeding rather than just the stud fee. They're, you know, have a little bit more tied up in the, you Absolutely. know, the, yeah, actually that, that brings up another question that I have, which is, you know, the, the, the technology and the, the changes and the improvements in medical care back in, in the day when I was ensuring active competition horses, there were a lot of things that were considered experimental or new treatments that weren't covered. How are we, how are they handling those kinds of things now? Like, you know, PRP and IRAP and all of those kinds of, and things that I've never even heard of that they're doing now, stem cell. So, yes. So most of the policies that I've seen have some sort of sublimit for regenerative therapeutics, which would be stem cell, PRP, IRAP. They also will typically have a sublimit for shockwave. And then most of the policies have an exclusion for experimental things. And that's basically things that haven't really been tested or approved in the U.S. is how we consider it. Okay. You know, new, medica- new medications and new drugs are coming out all the time. So we kind of have to just stay on top of it and just take each, each medication as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, like Noltrex is a new one, fairly new in the past few years that we've had to evaluate coverage for. And some of these you know, are really aimed at treating arthritis. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times treatment for arthritis is specifically excluded because it's kind of considered something that horses get no matter what. So, so yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And what Samantha said, you know, she mentioned the sublimits for, you know, these regenerative treatments. You know, I like to tell people when they get a policy that you shouldn't expect it to cover 100% of everything. So some of these treatments like PRP and stem cell, they are generally optional treatments, you know, for you to decide whether to, to do for your horse. And so because of, you know, just There are so many options now and the cost of everything, the insurance companies are placing these sublimits on those treatments. So you generally aren't allowed to use your entire policy reimbursement limit for things like PRP and shockwave. They're going to limit you to a certain amount or a certain number of treatments Mm -hmm. just so, you know, that you just you can't go crazy and (laughs) do everything, get everything reimbursed. And is there um, a maximum so, limit that insurance will cover for treatment of various things? Yes. Uh, yeah, it depends on your policy. And that's, you know, what you kind of choose when you um, get the policy as far as the annual maximum limit, which is generally there's a, depending on the company, can be $5,000, 7500 10000 or 15000 okay. And you're, not every horse is eligible for every limit. It just, you know, depends on what's available. And and also some policies have a time frame limit on on each incident. So it'll give you 120 days worth of coverage for 
you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm. Um, and then at the end of that 120 days, that's it. Some of them offer sublimits and then some of them, um, what's a sublimit? It's basically a limit within the policy. So if you have a $5,000 policy limit for your medical surgical and you have a $2,000 sublimit on regenerative therapeutics, you can only spend $2,000 per policy period on regenerative therapeutics, no matter how many claims you have. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, you can choose um, to do it yourself, but coverage. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You can always choose to do it yourself. It's just yeah. whether or not it's going to be covered Got is it. a different story. Okay. And, you know, the reason that the in the insurance underwriters have put, they put exclusions, they put sublimits is to try and keep the price somewhat reasonable for our yeah. clients. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, it's... It's kind of it's the, the major medical is kind of a, a bleeding ulcer for the insurance companies. Um, and so it it's trying to continue to offer it and be reasonably priced has been, I think, a very difficult thing for the underwriters to figure out. Sure. Yeah, I would say over the last years with all of the advancements with the veterinary technologies, you know, the average claim reimbursement used to be maybe $1,500 per claim. Um, I would say now the average claim reimbursement is closer to 2,500 or 3,000. Um, and the premiums that, you know, the insured is paying has not really gone up, you know, enough to compensate for that. So, um, you know, when I talk to someone about getting a policy, I, my biggest takeaway for them is to consider this financial aid, um, your policy you should not expect it to pay 100% of your vet bills. That's not what it's designed for. Right. Uh, but it's designed to help you yeah. with, you know, some of those extensive vet bills. And as I said in the beginning, it's going to be there. Certainly when you have a situation where, you know, your horse needs life-saving care, um, you know, where normally you might not have the finances to do that, um, you know, with an insurance policy and that financial aid it provides, um, you're going to be able to make an easier decision to say, you know, that you can treat the horse to save its life. Right. Well, changing gears just a little bit. Our last question is something we've been asking all our guests this year, as Aviva and I are putting together quite an interesting book list. So we wanted to pose the question to both of you ladies as well as to whether or not you had a favorite book. And this could be fiction or nonfiction, horse book, not horse book. Uh, if there's something in particular that you love that you would like to share with everybody. Oh, my gosh. I am a huge reader. Um, <laughs> I, re I read like three books at a time oh my goodness um, yeah like I I spend a huge amount of money of reading books um <laughs> so I would say my favorite horse book would probably be Man o War by Walter Farley oh my, oh my. goodness yes. I love that story yeah. um and then I have uh, my favorite book tends to vary um it's either Outlander by Diana Gabaldon <laughs> or completely different genre um Magic Bites by Ilona Andrews um I really like the fantasy action genre now yeah. I'm really into that so yeah. um that's my latest favorite <laughs> cool yeah so I'm sitting here looking at my bookshelf and just <laughs> kind of pondering you know which one to choose to bring honestly the it's kind of obscure. It was probably written in the early 90s, but it is a, a horse series by an author named Carolyn Banks. And she has like five or six books. And one of them is called Death by Dressage. I love that series so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I knew someone would have heard about it, but um, there, I think it's hard to find in print these days. You can probably, you know, try and find a copy on Amazon or something, but it's these, you know, well-written little kind of horse mystery novels, um, you know, for, you know, any horse enthusiast will kind of appreciate them. So that's just, uh, I'm going to have to find those. Oh, they're so <laughs> Me fun. Too. They're so fun. Yeah. I love those. You know, reread them every couple of years because yeah. they're, they're just fun. You know, it just, when you're a horse person reading a horse book, you just feel so, you know, understood. Right. (laughs) Well, excellent. Well, we will definitely add those to our ever-growing list. And yeah, I have a copy of, I haven't read, I will say, I haven't read that Man of War book since I was a kid because I was so into Walter Farley when I was a kid, like many of us were. Um, But I have it, I still have it sitting on my bookshelf. Maybe I'll have to uh, get it out and dust it off. Um, but yeah, no, those are great. So we will add those to our list. And I want to thank both of you for joining us today. This has been educational. It's been informative. I know I learned a few things. Did you learn some stuff, Aviva? All kinds of stuff. Okay. Yeah. No, no, really, seriously. (laughs) Yeah. I, I've, I've, you know, I've had horses for 30 years and some of them have been insured and some of them haven't been. And right. the, the industry has absolutely changed over the course of 30 years. And it's yeah. it's it's nice to hear that it's where it is now, because I think it's um, the coverage is just better than it used to be. And the, the understanding of what's involved is better than it used to be. Right. So, so good job, ladies. So yeah. 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 Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding, and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC.